awesome. Hey, God is doing uh, some good work here uh, in, the, in the Northwest. I think it was Tozer. I think it was Tozer, A.W. Tozer, who said that true worshipers never leave the church, for they carry the sanctuary of God in their hearts wherever they go. And so Sundays for us is not just like a 90-minute reset for your week. It is the continuation of what is happening already Monday through Saturday. We find ourselves in worship and awe and in wonder of a God who is at work even in difficult and dark places. And so uh, we celebrate today that our God is still on the throne and he has a kingdom that is unshaken. A kingdom that is unshaken. In a world that is often shaken, he's got a kingdom that is unshaken. Now for legal purposes, I do need to tell you uh, and welcome you officially to uh, our 11 a.m. protest here at the church. Uh, we protest in the devil here in Snohomish, and so, um, anyways, the health department, they called me. They said, are you holding church? I said, well, we're holding a protest, uh, <laughs> and it's a lot of fun. But uh, anyways, thanks for being here. Uh, hey, after uh, this morning service, immediately follow, you might have seen our, like, uh, tabernacle set up in the uh, foyer as you walked in. Uh, and that is for our guest VIP experience. We do it every third Sunday of the month. You're invited. If you're new to this house uh, or weren't able to make our last one, we have a special gift for you, a little pursuit mug, a reminder, and just a, a token of our appreciation. We know there's a lot of places you could be, so the fact that you spent it with us here uh, at this church in this house means a lot. We just want to take time to say thank you. So if you're new, immediately following the conclusion of today's service, uh, we're going to meet you in the back just for a time of fun uh, and uh, fellowship. Hey, this morning, I I'm going to be preaching primarily out of a text found in the book of Philippians uh, and chapter 3. Philippians uh, and chapter 3, Paul is writing a church in the city of Philippi. It's an ancient city by which several years ago he planted a church. And the Apostle Paul's life uh, post-salvation essentially centers around three great missionary journeys he takes. He brings the gospel all over Asia Minor and uh, onto the European continent. Just about everywhere he goes, he follows this apostolic model of founding a church, placing a leader, staying there for like 6 to 18 months, and then taking off. He does it in the city of Corinth. He does it in the city of Thessalonica. He does it in the city of Philippi. He does it in the city of Coloss and others. By the time that Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi, he's most likely in his second Roman uh, imprisonment, and eventually he will give his life for the gospel. Most church historians say his head was cut off by Emperor Nero. Uh, in, in the mid to late 60s uh, in, in the first century. Uh, but we know prior to his death, he writes about two-thirds of the New Testament. A lot of what we have are these apostolic letters uh, that Paul authors to the church. Uh, these apostolic letters almost always follow this formula, an encouragement, a rebuke, and then an encouragement. And let me encourage you in conversation uh, if you got to rebuke somebody, sandwich it with encouragement on either side because it helps that bitter pill get swallowed just a little bit easier. But Paul was on to something here. He writes the church. He, 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 he encourages them in the way that they should go. He offers some critique, sometimes subtle, other times a little bit more forceful, like in First and Second Corinthians. Uh, but in the church uh, in Philippi, in Philippians 3, Paul does something a little unusual. He pivots from talking about the church to talking about himself and using himself in an illustrative fashion to talk about what it looks like to live a life in ongoing developmental pursuit of who Jesus is. When we think about the church, 
We don't think about it in the context of an emergency room by which you show up when you need God to bail you out. And instead, we think about it like a health club, something that you engage in on a regular basis and in doing so, find health and wholeness in your life. We think about church not as the spare tire, but as the steering wheel for the car that we're in. It's an essential part, a building block of what it means to be a believer connected in community, coming into agreement with what God said about you and your circumstance. We know what the world says, we know what the culture says, we know what social media says. A question for you this morning is, do you know what God says about your life and about where you're going? Because when you understand God's context for your surroundings, it enables you to not just be a victim of what happens around you, but instead a change agent in your sphere of influence. You are not a victim, you are an overcomer. Something may have happened to you, but it doesn't get to define you for the rest of your life. Why? Because your past is a place of reference, but it doesn't mean that that's where you have to stay. We are all products of where we came from, but we're not prisoners. And when you come into the freedom that Christ brings, when you really understand that you are a new creation in Christ Jesus, it gives you the opportunity to do something that very few people ever exercise, which is rebrand your narrative or retell your story. And that's the good news about following Christ is that if your story is bad, it's not over because he always ends things better than they started. And so we trust a God who is working all things, not some things, not one or two things, but all things together for the good of those who love him. And as we set our love on him in the context of worship, discipleship, followership, God then works in the background of our life. Things that you could never imagine, loose ends that you could never bring together, convoluted, complicated situations that you could never solve. We serve a God who is working all things together for the good of those who love. Philippians 3, starting in verse 12, Paul, talking about himself to the church in Philippi, says this, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected. Why does it feel like the language of a lot of people today is, I've already attained and I'm already perfect, so I just come to church to be entertained. Friend, that's a problem in the way that we understand ourselves. You are a person who is in progress. Now, you may have been following Jesus for 40 years. You may have been born in church. Hopefully, you weren't conceived in church, but maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time. But I can promise you this morning there is more for you if you will make the decision to press on past what you know into who he is. I'm so glad that we don't serve a God who's limited in size and scope to the confines of my knowledge or imagination. Exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or think that's the God that we serve. And for the rest of eternity... We will barely scratch the surface of how good and complex he actually is. So you may be following Jesus for 30, 40 years, or maybe you've been following Jesus three or four days. I've got good news for you. There is more. You haven't attained. You're not perfected. You are a person who is in progress. There's more for me. I may have seen a lot, but I haven't seen it all. I may know a lot, but I don't know it all. I may have experienced a lot, but there are still adventures with God that lay ahead. Therefore, I press on. Friend, remember, winners are not people who never fail, but instead 
people who never quit. This is our only option. It reminds me of the dialogue that Jesus has with his disciples as he's teaching on kind of in a prophetic sense uh, uh, the, 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 uh, the atonement, the cross that he's headed to. He talks about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. And of course, we know prophetically what he's speaking to and, and, and we celebrate that on a monthly basis with the taking of communion as a church family. But Jesus is speaking without, any underst- without, without giving any further context or any further understanding. He's making these statements and the Bible says, and many desert him. The crowds desert him. And Jesus turned to his disciples and he says, will you leave as well? And Peter says, where else will we go? Only you have the words of life. See, friend, the crowds are fickle. They're with you one day, they're against you the next. If you live for people's compliments, you will die by their criticism. If you're looking for the popular vote to figure out how you ought to live your life, you will live addicted to other people's perspective. And I'm telling you, when you make a decision, I'm going to follow Jesus, whatever the cost, you can take the world, but just give me more of him. It puts you on a spiritual trajectory that causes you in such a way to have a relationship with him where you go, there is nothing else that will satisfy me. Where else will I go? Only you have the words of life. Paul here is kind of making a declarative statement about himself. I press on. Right? Can I tell you just about the greatest quality of your discipleship in this season is endurance. Because what hell designed to break you, God can use as your promotion, but only if you make a decision to press on. 2020 is a, is a, is a sure-tell sign that God, number one, has a sense of humor. Number two, has a strategic and divine plan for your life. And so if you allow what is happening around you to cause chaos inside of you, you lose the ability to have an unshaken testimony in this season. Can I tell you, maybe the most profound word that will come from your life in this season is everything's shaken, but I'm on the rock. And I've got some endurance. I'm pressing on. And I may not know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds my future. And so I press on. And sometimes in testimonies, we want all of the kind of uh, 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 creative uh, testimonies and miracles and breakthroughs that we read about in Scripture. Everybody wants to talk about slaying Goliath. Nobody wants to talk about writing weird poems while you take care of sheep. (laughs) Everybody wants to walk on water. Nobody wants to get wet. Everybody wants a resurrection. Nobody wants to die. Everybody wants a healing. Nobody wants to have the faith to go forward and ask for prayer. Can I tell you, friend, the greatest testimony in this season for your life is three three words. I press on. I press on. Why? Because I don't have any other options. Jesus is not one plan of many plans. He is not one God of many gods. He is not one road of many roads. He is the way, the truth, the life, and no man may come to the Father except by him. Friend, he is the only door. What's our other option? You think culture provides this type of resilience, restoration? You think politics provides this type of hope and courage? I hope not. I hope Jesus returns before this election. (laughs) My God. People lost their minds. I press on. Whether your candidate wins or loses on the election is still a day that the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. Why? Because I press on. We're pressing. What other option do we have? 
We want to go back to the wilderness. You want to go back to bondage. You want to go back to Babylon. You want to go back to the tombstones. Listen, it may not be perfect, and we may not know what the future holds, but we've got one thing in common. We're going to press on. What other option do we have? I know things are a little shaky. I know things are a little uncertain, man. I feel it too. But I've burned the other ships. I press on. And together for you and I, I mean, I think that's, when we use the word encouragement, you know what it means? It means the ability to share courage. That's what I want you to feel in this environment when you hear me preach. I want you to feel that courage part of you rising up. Going, hey, you know what? Yeah, that last season was rough. Hey, you know what, man? My marriage took some unexpected turns. Yeah, I've, now I've been dealing with some patterns. Yeah, I've got things falling apart. Yeah, man, my family ain't real happy with me, but I am going to press on. Yeah, you turn on the news, man, you just get so negative and depressed. and The entire industry thrives on stirring up fear and anxiety in the hearts of people. You know what happens every time we get about a quarter inch of snow here in the Northwest? Storm alert, 24-7. They're just trying to find an excuse to be on TV. Everything's a crisis. It's like people wake up in the morning and go, what do I got to be outraged about today? I'm not sure. Let me turn on the news and find out. But as believers who gaze upon his presence and dwell in his temple, we are hidden under his wings in his pavilion. And we've got an uncommon hope and an uncommon courage that the world can't take. But just because the world can't take it doesn't mean you can't give it. See, I've got a peace from God that rests on my life. But you know what? God loves me enough to respect my free will decision to give away things that he's actually given for me to carry. And so if you're operating out of a place of peace, you used to have it, but you don't have it anymore, I want to give you permission this morning to take back what is yours. I need a peace that guards my heart. I need a peace that guards my mind. I need a peace that guards my family. I need a peace that guards my... We are people of peace in this city who allow what is on us to influence others around us. But I tell you what, even if I'm rejected, I'm going to dust off my feet and keep moving. I press on. <laughs> I know in this community, people are worried right now. Economy's a little shaky. Boeing's moving. Things are happening. Taxes. All, all these things that are kind of providing this perfect storm of fear and anxiety. But my God has not given me a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a, and a sound mind. Meaning this, it is so imperative right now that you think like God thinks about your situation. If you don't think like God thinks, you'll start acting out of the flesh trying to make things happen in your own power, trying to arrange things on your own schedule, trying to arrange things on your own timetable. But when you operate in peace, you know that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I'm not chasing it. It's chasing me. Verse 13 says this, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. There is a reason the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror. Because what you're looking at is more important than what's behind you. We are future-focused people. It doesn't mean that I don't learn lessons from the past. 
It doesn't mean that I don't recount the faithfulness of God in past seasons of life, but some people live in perpetual nostalgia or perpetual backwards-looking regret, thinking about all the mistakes they've made, all the times that they've gone left when they should have gone right. And can I tell you, friend, there is more ahead of you than there is behind you. I always have a past. And there will always be certain people in your life that as soon as you start getting free, they want to remind you of where you came from. But where you came from is not who you are. Paul says this, forgetting those things which are behind you. Sometimes because I just think of history and scripture, at least the New Testament's about 2,000 years old, we have a way of sanitizing the story. Like Paul, prior to conversion, is leading a pretty difficult life. And I get it, man. We live in a world today that captures all of our best moments and our worst moments. And you're going to have some difficult moments on this journey of life because those are the things that actually season your discipleship. But you don't have to stay in the valley any longer than is necessary. Now, 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 now David says, yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, David's got to spend enough time there for God to make a table for him in front of his enemies, but it's not where he's going to stay. He's marching towards where? The goodness of God in the land of the living. There's people here today, you're beating yourself up for a mistake you made 20 years ago. And can I tell you, nothing can change the fact that a mistake was made. But today, God could do something in your heart by which you could sever the tie, sever the tie with shame and degradation that keeps you locked up. The gospel is not shame on you, it is shame off you. <laughs> well, Pastor, you don't understand. I made some mistakes. I've looked foolish. I've, I've broken the laws of God. I've, yeah, and Scripture says this. Any man who says he is without sin is a liar. So we all got a past. We all got difficulties in our present. Each of our stories is different, but the cure is common. It's Christ. He is the great equalizer throughout all of history. He is the one who sits the leper on his left hand and the rich young ruler on his right hand. He surrounds himself with people on every rung of the socioeconomic ladder, men and women, young and old, men servant and maid servant, Jew and Gentile, black and white. He brings them together. Why? Because in his presence, we're one. That means that your mistake is mine, but my victory is yours and vice versa. That's why community is so important. Because a threefold cord is not easily broken. And together, as we form this symphony of community and agreement, when one of us falls, we're able to pick the other one up. When one of us wins, we get to celebrate it because God is at work. Listen very carefully. Just because you didn't come from a healthy family doesn't mean one can't come from you. Anybody believe that this morning or is that just me? Just because you didn't come from a healthy system, healthy relationships, healthy family, healthy friends, healthy workplace, doesn't mean one can't come from you. Why? Because God is inviting us to cross over the threshold from the old into the new. <laughs> and sometimes we, as believers, are almost too curse conscience. We're so reminiscent mindful 
of the mistakes that our families have made for generations. But can I tell you, that stuff ran into you, but today it stops. Meaning this, I don't have to pass it on to my kids or their kids. Watch, watch what happens. In the old covenant, scripture says the sins of a father are passed down three or four generations. But in the New Testament, it's the goodness of God that is the inheritance for our children and our children's children. And if you try to serve a New Testament God with an old covenant paradigm, you will be so attached to the mistakes that you've made that they become altars and idols in your life. Well, you know, my mom was divorced and her mom was divorced. and Her mom's mom was divorced. So I guess it just runs in my family. But how about today we break agreement with what's running your family? Because his blood is efficacious and speaks a better word about your reality. What if today it doesn't run in my bloodline, it doesn't run in my family, it's not in my family genes, it's not a part of my story, it's not a part of... What if today we made a decision to cross from the old into the new? Paul says that forgetting those things which are behind. Friend, for you, the only generational curses that have power in your life are the ones that you believe. My question for you is, is the cross of no effect in your life? And I might have proclivities and, and weaknesses, but I am not a slave to my sin. And Paul says it this way, if anyone is in Christ, they, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new is here. Watch what Paul says in verse 14. He says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I press on towards the goal to win the prize. I think for us, sometimes we look at the prize like finally getting to heaven. You know, like, God, if you just rescue me out of this earth, my miserable existence, God, if you just take me out of my bunker, I get to heaven, then I finally won the prize. But I want to challenge your perspective this morning. I think when Paul talks about pressing on towards the goal of winning the prize, the prize is not Paul getting to heaven. The prize is heaven coming to earth. This is the method and the model of Paul's ministry. He goes into a city that hasn't had a gospel witness. He sets up shop. He prays himself hot. He casts out demons. He heals the sick. He plants a church. He gets beat up and he moves on. The prize for Paul was not to get rescued out of his loneliness or his pain or his brokenness or his difficulty so he could get to heaven. It was Paul's goal for heaven to come to earth. I want you to think about the Red Sea for a moment. When God led the Hebrew children through it, he didn't remove it. He made a way through it. Think about this in your life. Maybe, just maybe, the chief aim of God is not to eliminate your problems or make them disappear, but to make a way where there seems to be no way. So that you still get the development of the difficulty, but it doesn't drown you. We're pressing on. We're moving through. We're going after something. There's a prize. And it's not just at the end of my life, in the sweet by and by, in the somehow, somewhere, some way, God will do it. No, it's here and it's now. The kingdom of God is at hand. That's why we heal the sick. That's why we raise the dead. That's why we cleanse the leper. That's why we cast out demons. Because the kingdom is at hand. It's here. The prize is not just to hang on long enough for God to finally call me home. It's to make this place a home for his glory and his dwelling. Our prize is to bring heaven to earth. 
Notice when heaven invades earth, the violence of that interchange creates disruption in that region. Scripture says this, the kingdom suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. When the rule and reign of Christ displaces principalities and powers on earth, it creates violence in private, which manifests as unrest in public. Watch this. It's a word for the season that we're in. You're seeing some of the unrest in public. And can I tell you, friend, it is the result of a spiritual violence that is happening in private. Why? Because we are in the midst of a violent overthrow of the kingdoms of man. And in replacement of those kingdoms is his kingdom rule, reign, and authority. And that displacement causes violence. Paul says it this way, the whole earth is groaning. That a word for 2020? The whole earth is groaning. It's shifting. It's changing. There's an inner hunger in people's lives. They don't even know what they're hungry for, but there's an inner dissatisfaction in their lives. And that's why so many people worship at the altar of politics. There's an inner hunger in their lives for structural change, and they think that political preference is the answer. And can I tell you, it may be one of the things that God uses because he is the one who invented and ordained the construct of government. But if your entire hope is vested in one party or another having power, you have missed out on the kingdom prerogative of the hour. When his kingdom comes to earth, it shows up and invites all of those in the appropriate wedding attire to be a part. His kingdom's at hand. And it's coming. You ever, as a kid or, or maybe even as an adult, you, you take a big stone or a big log and, and you throw it into a, a smaller body of water and you watch as the impact of that object displaces the water in that area. You know, sometimes people think the kingdom of God is just so sneaky, just shows up one day, and we just go have a nice little church, we're going to sing Kumbaya, and one day we're just all going to be a bunch of half-naked midget cherub angels playing our harps on clouds, singing with God, long flowing golden hair. You know, we have all these kind of weird cultural issues or images of what it looks like to like follow Jesus and be a part of this thing. What? Where did that come from? The Bible says that the disciples, they turned cities upside down. They showed up in regions and all of a sudden kings and queens shook. Entire Roman governmental principalities and powers quaked. All of a sudden it was people of God putting the world on notice that the kingdom's here. And that's why this following Jesus thing is not a popularity test. You don't give other people the opportunity to vote on the authenticity of your faith. Your eyes are on Jesus. And I know everybody's got an opinion about how nice and neat and small and quiet the church should be. But that's not the conviction that God has placed in my heart. We are here to take territory because the kingdom's at hand. It's here. And no, is the pursuit the be-all, end-all? No, I don't think so. But I think we're part of the puzzle of what God is gathering in the region because revival and reformation is my inheritance, and I'm going to take it. 
but it's displacing things that have been here for so long. It's displacing religious lethargy. It's replacing spiritual apathy. It's replacing listlessness and death. It's replacing suicide and depression. It's replacing sickness and infirmity. It's replacing demons and principalities and powers. When his kingdom shows up, it dispossesses the enemy and it re-inherits the church. It's here. Come on, can you feel it? Can you sense it? It's here. You can't pray for revival and then be surprised when the earth shakes. Revival is not nice and neat. It doesn't fit in a box. It makes you so undignified that it offends the religious spirit and everyone around you. But what it causes is the presence of God to come back central to a nation. And when that happens, everything changes. We are that people. And this is our time. And that's why as a believer, you have given up the right to operate in hopelessness. Because when your eyes are set on Zion, you know that our help comes from the Lord. And the church is in the process of waking up to the ever-increasing reality all around us. Because revival was on his heart before it was on ours. Because a healthy people was on his heart before it was on ours. And could you allow the kingdom of God to displace some of the old former kingdoms and authorities and rules and reigns and mindsets in your own life? Could you, could you let it do it this morning? Watch what Moses says, Deuteronomy 9. This idea of crossing over and thresholds had been significant for the people of God for a long time. Most believe that Moses is the majority of author of the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now we know that Moses doesn't write the last chapter of the book of Deuteronomy because it records his death. <laughs> but we believe that he wrote a majority of it. In Deuteronomy 9, he's giving instruction to the nation of God. Watch what he says. Hear Israel. Hear Israel. You are now about to cross the Jordan to go in and dispossess nations greater and stronger than you with large cities that have walls up to the sky. For, let me stop there for a moment. That word dispossess means this, to take back what is rightfully yours. See, as a believer, what is rightfully yours is healing and wholeness. And when the enemy causes havoc in your life, you're not trying to get back something that is not yours, something that you don't deserve, something that God is pulling away from you. No, you are taking back what has always been yours because of the relationship you have with him. See, that's what gives you you know, uh, 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 today, if, if while you were leaving church and, and, and you're getting ready to leave, you go out and, and where you parked your car, your car is no longer there. Somebody has taken it, stolen it. And you're looking around the parking lot going, am I sure I parked here? I know I parked here. Where's my car? And all of a sudden you look down, you see some broken glass, and, and you know, man, somebody broke into my car and stole it. And as you were looking down, you saw that same car rolling by you out on 2nd Street right in front of you. It gives you an authority automatically in your life. Hey, that's mine. I know that's mine. I, that's my license plate. That's my car. That's my broken wood. You're in my, that is mine. See, but Christians pray these prayers that are so lacking any type of authority. 
that it doesn't even cause the demons to tremble. The Bible says the demons believe and they tremble. But do we believe when we tremble? Come on, is there a belief inside of us that causes us to shake when we call upon the name of the Lord because we know where two or three are gathered touching anything they can consider it done? I know the demons believe, but does the church believe? Hey, that's mine. No, you can't have what's mine. I might have given it away because I made an agreement with sin and lasciviousness, but today I'm taking back what's mine. When you get that authority in you, that courage in you, that boldness in you, you see that inheritance running by and you go, I'm going to chase that thing. That thing's mine. Now, watch this. It's so interesting. I want you to see something. Just because you haven't been there doesn't mean it isn't yours. The Israelites never been in the promised land. But Moses tells them, you will cross over and you will dispossess. Essentially, you will repossess this property. You've never been on it. But you go, take it back because it's rightfully yours. Which means this. Get this. I might have been born in dysfunction. David said, I was born in sin. I might have been born in abuse. I might have been seeing all these things in my life, all this chaos that's been against me. I feel like I've just had to battle one thing after another. It's just thank God I'm just barely alive. I, I may have been born in that. I, I may have never known a day of what a healthy family looks like. But because of my relationship with Christ, even if I haven't been there, it's rightfully mine. Yeah, that gives you the courage to cross over out of dysfunction into function, out of poverty into generosity, out of insanity into a sound mind, out of sickness and into healing. Just because I haven't been there doesn't mean it isn't mine. See, when you understand whose you are and what belongs to you because of that relationship, it gives you authority and courage to boldly approach the throne of grace in your time of need. I can't remember a time where I felt good. I've always been sick. I'm telling you, friend, it's yours. It's yours. The God who goes ahead of you has already laid claim to the land. It's time to cross over into your inheritance. Friend, I want you to see this door frame that I have on stage with me. And I think a lot of us are in this season of life. We've got a lot of baggage from where we've been. We've got a lot of baggage from the way we was raised, the things that we've experienced. We've got a lot of baggage from the old season of life. And we know that God has set before me an open door. He has invited me through it. And I'm going to use my courage and faith to go through it. But here's where we get stuck. As we're going through, we're trying to bring all of our old baggage with us, and it doesn't fit. And then we get frustrated. Like, man, this preacher sold me a bill of goods. Man, this following Jesus stuff, I thought it was going to be easier than this. Man, where is my breakthrough? Man, where's my miracle? Where's my family? Where's my development? I've been praying. I've been believing. But every time I try to walk through into my inheritance, I feel stuck. Can I tell you, friend, baggage is about where you've been, but luggage is about where you're going. And unless you offload the baggage of your old season, you can't fit through the open door into your new season. Not Everything can come with you, and that's good news. You know, one of the worst experiences in life? Moving. <laughs> moving. You know what always happens when you move? You find out how much crap you actually own. <laughs> Why do I have so many of these? How? Who? How did this get in my house? And almost always, 
in moving, simultaneously you find yourself getting rid of old stuff. Why? Because where you're going, it can't fit. Watch what scripture says. It's the narrow road that leads to salvation. It's the broad road that leads to what? Destruction. And what I've found in following Christ is that the closer I get to him, the more narrow the door becomes for my new season of opportunity. Meaning this, things that I thought I needed, I don't really need. Come on, friend. Some of you are trying to fit in through that new door. But every time you're about to take a step into your promised land, it's that toxic relationship that you can't let go of. Oh, I need her. I need him. I want to know what to do without him. But every time you go back to the graveyard, you get stuck in the grave clothes, wrapped up into tombs, wrapped up into chains. Do you know that the chains of bondage and addiction are often too small to be felt until they're too large to be broken? That's how it works. Oh, but God, I wouldn't know what to do without that. I know it's not healthy. I know it's not good. I understand it in my mind, but the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And today, friend, I want to ask you, if you would for a moment borrow the courage of this house to make real tough decisions about what you're crossing over into and what you need to leave behind. What I've found is that whatever I trade in pursuit of Jesus, he gives back in an infinitely more valuable form. See, some of you have operated with this belief or lie like, I'll never find a person to marry. I'll never find that person for me. So therefore, you've lowered your standards to hang on to toxic individuals. I thought it'd be a little quiet. Some of you believe the lie that you'll never have enough money to be generous so you don't tithe and in doing so rob God and in doing so block your blessing. So instead of crossing over into prosperity and generosity, you're hanging on to poverty and lack. But see, we got an open door and we got a new season. And we hear the voice that the apostle John heard on the island of Patmos Come up higher. I've got an open door. (laughs) And Jesus, when he speaks to the churches in Revelation 3 and in verse 8, he's talking to the church in Philadelphia and he says this, I know your strength is small. I know you're tired. I know you're worn down. But I've set before you an open door and you're going to cross over into it. (laughs) Meaning this, that your invitation is not dependent upon your strength or your goodness or your ability, it's dependent on His. His faithfulness is more faithful than your faithlessness. His wisdom is more wise than your failures. And today, this Jesus is calling us through. Friend, there's an open door. I sense it. There's an open door. There's an open door for us as a collective community. 
but there's also open doors for us as individuals, as families. And in closing, let me draw your attention to how Jesus heals the sick in the New Testament. Oftentimes it's with this question, do you want to be made well? What would you like me to do for you? What are the things that you're asking? Let it be done to you according to your faith. And sometimes we get used to the old bondage, the old ways of life, the old mindsets, the old patterns, the old proclivities. We know they're unhealthy, but they've so become a part of who we are that we're scared to let go of them. They warm us at night. And today, could you borrow the courage of this house to make some new decisions about what type of life you're going to lead and what type of person you're going to be? Friend, we don't just have a promised land. We're a promised people. And wherever he goes, we'll follow. And as a church, we're going to walk through some open doors. We're going to walk through some doors of authority by which Jesus will place keys on our shoulders. We're going to walk through some doors of healing. We're going to walk through some doors of awakening. We're going to walk through some doors of revival. You know, people always want awakening, but they get uncomfortable when it happens because it offends the way that things have been done. But why would you ever put new wine in an old wineskin, lest the wineskin burst? Why would you ever take a, a new piece of cloth and tear it off and attach it to an old garment, lest it tear again? Well, I know church in this environment probably look a little different than you're used to. Might sound a little different than you're used to. But we serve a God who has set before this church an open door. And come hell or high water, I'm going to walk through it. And I want you to walk through it with me. Because we're going to the promised land. And we're going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Come on, would you stay with me all across this room as we pray? We serve a God who is so much better than you could ever imagine. And Fred, His grace is sufficient for you today. And today we're going to add our faith together and we're going to believe that this God who has set before us an open door is going to equip us with every resource we need to walk on right through it. Because we know that there is more in my future than was in my past. We know the best days are yet ahead. Come on, would you agree with me in prayer this morning? Father, we love you. God, we honor you. We thank you that you are at work in ways that we can't quantify. God, we thank you that you are the God who does not sleep, nor does he slumber. You are not slack or slow as some consider slow in accordance with your word or your promise. And God, today, by faith and in courage, we sever the ties with old thinking, old living, old patterns, and we enter in with newness of life. We cross over from death into life, from sin into righteousness, knowing that there is a God who walks with us in every season, who's more faithful than we ever know, who will guide and lead us in the way that we should go, that we would never depart from it. God, today, we walk through this open door. In Jesus' name, come on, if you agree, would you just shout amen this morning? Amen.
Thanks so much for joining us for Pursuit. Man, God's doing something wild in Snohomish. Invite a friend, invite a family member, tell them what's happening here in this house. We'll see a lot of you next week, 11 a.m. Hey, if you're new today, I'd like you to join me at our VIP experience in the lobby immediately following this service. Love to give you a gift, shake your hand, say hello. Thank you for being a part of our church family. God bless. We'll see you guys real soon.